today on CityCast Salt Lake. First of all, hi, how are you doing? Chances are you are reeling from this past weekend in Salt Lake City. Friday, a Supreme Court decision is handed down that overturns the right to a legal abortion. As of midnight Friday, all elective abortions are banned in Utah. Where do we go from here? Everyone knew this decision was coming. A draft opinion had been leaked a few months ago, and when that draft opinion was discovered, I was in the home of one of Utah's only abortion providers, Dr. David Turok. We sat at his kitchen table and spoke candidly. For today, I'm sharing that conversation with you again. It's Monday, June 27th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Dave, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So, of course, we're here to talk about this leaked opinion from Justice Alito. Are you surprised by this? Not at all. This is, you know, the culmination of decades of work um, from the time Alito worked in the Department of Justice. He had an outlined plan um, to get to this day. And, you know, I, I honor the, the effort, um, the commitment to the long-term plan mm-hmm. and the execution. And that said, you know, this is the will of hyper-religious hypocrites um, trying to force their views down the throats of everyone else. And people in this country and everywhere in the world know that abortion will never go away. You can make abortion illegal. You can, as you know, as happened in, in Utah, you can make it more challenging to obtain. There's over 30 laws uh, on the books in Utah that make uh, abortion um you know, more challenging to provide the care and to receive. None of those laws, zero, make abortions safer. None of them provide dignity to uh, people who need abortions and pursue that care. How long have you been providing reproductive health care and specifically safe abortions to patients in Utah? Pretty much from the day I arrived uh, in 1998. And how, I'm curious, has the landscape of this, basically this battle, evolved in your career? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. You know, the laws really, for I would say the first decade and a half I was here, um, there were opportunities for people to demonstrate their hatred of abortion and, and that idea. And, you know, Ironically, they would use the label pro-life while they did absolutely nothing to protect people from gun violence or reduce the 30,000 plus people that die, you know, from guns every year in this country or to change the death penalty or to or to create greater opportunities for women in this state where we rank absolutely at the bottom as far as ed- educational and economic opportunities for women, where yep. m- women on average earn 70 cents on the dollar for uh, a white man and women of color in the state more like 50 cents on the dollar mm-hmm. for a white man. So th- this was never about creating better opportunities for people. This These were just legislative opportunities for people to declare their hatred of abortion and to 
try to oppress and make it more difficult for people who are in challenging situations to get the care that they needed. If they really, you know, if the desire really was to reduce abortions, they would be doing exactly what we're doing, Mm -hmm. which is providing people access to no-cost contraception so that they can have the sexual and reproductive lives that they want and have the children that they want and not have the children that they don't want. Mm -hmm. If Roe is overturned and Utah's trigger laws go into place, what are you most worried about? The health and safety of people who are pregnant and don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the majority of people will end their pregnancies and, and do it safely. And, you know, one of the main things that I've seen that's changed over the time that I've been here is uh, people are coming in now earlier and earlier mm. in their gestations. So they're, they have fewer and fewer weeks of pregnancy and, and, for most of the time, the most people were less than nine weeks hmm. of, uh, at their pregnancy when they terminated them. And we've now seen a, a shift toward earlier, people coming in earlier and earlier. And then the other major change is the use of medication abortion. We were, Utah was always a relatively high uh, volume state for people choosing medication rather than aspiration procedures for abortion, you know, DNC. Mm -hmm. And now it's actually the majority. Um, Mm. So the more than 50% of people are selecting medication abortion. And, um, you know, that I think bodes well for people to continue that. We know from, you know, rigorous clinical studies that, uh, medication abortion is safe without any testing if you know your last period and you're within 11 weeks of that time mm-hmm. and you don't have any symptoms of an ectopic pregnancy um, you can safely end a pregnancy with the use of mifepristone and misoprostol the two medication abortion drugs um, up to 11 weeks without any testing what's an ectopic pregnancy pregnancy in in the tube or outside of the uterus. Okay. Why do you think it is that people are coming in earlier? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there's a few reasons for that. You know, um, one is urine pregnancy tests are cheap and available. You can get yep. one at the dollar store. Yep. And another is more, more recently and is I, I think people are worried. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're uncertain about the future of abortion care. Mm-hmm. And I think there's more awareness that the medications are easier and the procedures are easier when people are earlier on. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in order for somebody to get into, you know, one of the clinics in Utah at less than six weeks, which is a common abortion ban target these mm-hmm. days, you know, we have a 72 hour mandated state and I, you know, air quotes around information session. It's just an opportunity for the state to demonstrate their hatred for people who have and need abortions. And, you know, in order to get in at less than six weeks, you have to complete this online module, then show up for an in-person visit, sign a document, then wait 72 hours. And then, you know, frequently the weekend interferes with that. Mm. So, 
you know, you need to have like just missed a period. Right. To get in in that fifth week. Hmm. Um, and we see that regularly. Hmm. Every, I would say every day we provide care, um, we're seeing people at less than six weeks. Hmm. And according, you know, what I hear from colleagues in Texas um, that has a six-week ban now, they're, they're seeing a, a, a dramatic increase in the number of people coming in that early. What are you hearing from colleagues in Texas? Like, what is that communication pipeline between providers? What is the conversation there right now? One of our trainees has been working there for some time, and it's, it's frustrating, you know, to know that the care that you are providing is of the highest quality. It's extremely safe. It makes a significant impact on people's lives, mm-hmm. and it's simple to provide. It's highly desired, and... In order to do it, you need to accommodate really mean-spirited people who have power to direct this kind of care, who have absolutely no interest in the safe care and and provision of care for people in need. And it, it is striking to me that, you know, legislators and people who who strongly oppose abortion somehow magically can skip over the pregnant person, go straight to the embryo. Mm. Somehow they are able to overlook Mm -hmm. the entire situation that brought that person to that place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think one of the demographic issues at play here just stands in direct contrast to that. And what I mean by that is the majority of people who have abortions in the United States and in every other country in the world are already parents. Hmm. They have a full and complete understanding of the need to raise children and what is involved in it and their ability to do it. Hmm. And these are people who are clearly saying it, it will compromise my situation to be able to do to provide the best care for my current children to have another child. Mm-hmm. And there's some cruelty yeah. in not acknowledging that. The same, not as, I, I think it's not as a deep level of ignorance and cruelty that's involved in saying that people who are pregnant through sexual assault and rape and incest should continue their pregnancies. Mm-hmm. That's another level. Which, I mean, to be sure, in this draft opinion that we've got from Justice Alito, that is what he says, is that he doesn't support the clause that even in some of the most like strict abortion bans is sort of in there that says, you know, in cases of rape, incest, et cetera, there should be an exception. And we saw just a couple of weeks ago at the state Republican convention, it wasn't actually heard on the floor because they didn't have a quorum to remove the rape and incest language from the party's platform around abortion. So, I mean, this is where the conversation is headed. Right. And, you know, I think it comes down to this. Either you support people's full range of opportunities to direct their sexual and reproductive lives as they desire, or you don't. You know, it's very difficult for me to grapple with the kind of arrogance that says, I know 100% of the time what's best for you. Mm. Not for me, but for you. 
like, that's amazing to me. How do you get to that place? Yeah. It's really striking. Yeah. Well, and especially given that you're a doctor and you give people medical advice on the regular. Yeah. So when I'm doing my job the best and my colleagues are doing their job their best, they are using shared decision-making, which mm-hmm. means that you are presenting people with all the available options and they're making their decision, their choice. And just as I would never mandate somebody continue a pregnancy they didn't want, I would also support somebody who very much desires to continue a pregnancy, even at their own health risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've participated in that kind of care as well. And I've had people, pregnant people, who've had the same diagnosis for themselves and sometimes, you know, for the pregnancy that they're carrying, same diagnosis and made totally different determinations about mm. what to do with continuing the pregnancy. And some people, you know, absolutely were determined and and felt they needed to have an abortion. And some people were absolutely determined that they needed to continue the pregnancy. Hmm. And understanding that range of human behavior and the need for people to make those kinds of decisions for themselves, I think creates a sense of humility and understanding of the range of situations people find themselves in and the way they get to peace. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I tell people all the time when we care for them before having an abortion is we will do whatever it takes so that when you walk out the door, you feel relief mm-hmm. and respect. Mm-hmm. And people are comforted by that. And I would say and do say the same thing to people who are in rare situations not absolutely certain and are still making up their mind about what they're going to do. Is there anything else I should ask you in this moment about this leaked document that is just such an awful fire drill? I've had plenty of time to think about this and, um, you know, and I am participating in a whole bunch of things which will try to help people have access to abortion because it will never go away and, and the oppression that's created by unjust laws is very significant and very real. And I think that can really shatter people's faith in our system of democracy at times and and think about the future. But I will say this, all day, every day, I spend time with amazing people who are working for reproductive justice, who are honoring people's reproductive freedoms, who are exercising their individual decisions um, and doing what is best for themselves and their family and always lifts the spirit. Yeah. There will be better days ahead. And I say that to people all the time also. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. One more thing before we go. There is a very specific reason why this Roe decision landed on a Friday. Every journalist or publicist knows that when you want to bury a story or tamper outrage, you drop news on a Friday. The hope is that the weekend will serve to distract and calm the public. It's a cowardly thing to do. 
We will be covering the implications of Roe in our community on this show for days and perhaps decades. This watershed moment will ask a lot of us emotionally, caring for each other, combating misinformation, and preparing for what's next, our immediate needs. The Utah Abortion Fund needs resources, not just immediate, but steady, predictable, long-term resources. If you can volunteer to write grants and see through some real fundraising efforts, they would like to hear from you. Planned Parenthood is launching a door-to-door canvas in communities across the valley to talk about abortion. Starting in West Jordan, West Valley, Salt Lake, and Ogden, volunteers are having doorstep conversations between neighbors about access, care, and resources. They are starting over again in the fight for reproductive health care. Square one, deep canvassing. If you're compelled to volunteer, staff members will train you and resource you to make sure your experience is safe. Planned Parenthood Utah, you can reach out to them directly to sign up for a two-hour shift. They started Saturday morning and already have shifts available through September. Most importantly, as we launch into a new week, I hope you'll be careful in managing your most precious resource, your energy. Joy is a form of resistance. Do not forget that. I wish you just a little bit of light today. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around this city. Bye.